on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Tuesday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Vacation time. Not much of a vacation, but as I've said many times, my entire life is a vacation. Today, I'm trying the format that was proposed yesterday by somebody, can't recall who. The idea of answering the questions... And then if there's anything I didn't get to while answering the questions that I feel needs to be addressed, we'll address it and then we'll wrap it up. Also today, I deliberately delayed the start time so that I would only have about 30 to 35, maybe 40 minutes before I have to run out for the once every three week toupee adjustment. So let's get right into it. PFTPM Posse, the franchise tag salary is calculated using the five highest cap numbers over a five-year rolling average. Is there a way for NFL teams to work together in the structure and timing of the cap impact on the highest contracts that would lower the franchise tag salary? Yeah, I like that the guy that runs the PFTPM Posse account is that cynical and devious and next-level strategery. I... I don't think that it matters. You just pay your guys... Because the benefit that you get out of using the franchise tag, especially if you have a quarterback that you're paying good money to, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's too diluted over that five-year rolling average to be engineered. Now, where it has an impact is when someone uses the exclusive franchise tag because that number ends up being based on the five highest-paid players at the position average in that cap year and it ends up being a higher number in some cases but because the franchise tag given this current calculation is based upon that five-year rolling average sometimes you've got a franchise tender that actually outpaces the market and outpaces what the exclusive tag would be when von miller a few years ago was eligible for the franchise tag the reality was that it would have been as much to use the non-exclusive tag as it was to use the exclusive tag so just use the exclusive tag and you don't have to worry about him signing somewhere else and somebody trying to pilfer him for a couple of first round draft picks so creative next level skeptical but i don't see it happening Dirtbag1327, if you indeed stop the PFTPM podcast, do you still expect us rubes to ask questions to help with your content for PFT? Well, here's the thing. The rubes questions, and I, I don't consider you guys rubes. I don't even know what a rube is. But the questions are only valuable to me if I actually go through the process of answering them. Just getting the questions and looking at the questions doesn't mean anything, but in sounding out answers is when I stumble over something sometimes that helps me end up creating a post or tripping onto a take or coming up with something that helps me do my job. So I'm not doing this just for the questions. I'm not going to, under false pretenses, say, hey, I'm going to do a podcast today, ask me your questions, and then I'm going to hoard the questions to come up with ideas. A Red Zone Alk pointed out earlier there was no time for a question today on holiday in Spain watching England versus USA. I actually have it on right now. They're into the second half as of this taping. 52nd minute 
of the match. That always bugs me about soccer, how the clock counts up instead of counts down, because then you have to do math backwards as to how much time is left. Anyway, the USA currently leads 2-1. to one. Not that that means a damn thing to you, because it'll be over by the time you listen to this. Libras 500 is a Broncos fan watching Paxton Lynch's failure to launch was a painful exercise in blood from a stone. What happened there exactly? How is Locke different? He didn't play under center and he is seen as more of a project than a ready to go day one player. Well, I know Sims is a big believer in Drew Locke and there are similarities between Drew Locke and John Elway in that both guys played well, but their program struggled. So it took some of the shine off of their performances. And Locke arguably ended up going lower this year than he would have gone last year because last year I think there was a better vibe around the Missouri team than there was this year. That was the sense that I got from Sims, that there is that raw potential there that is perceived in Locke and that he can be a guy who plays very well at the next level even though his team wasn't that good. And it's amazing that scouts are influenced by that. But in a weird sort of way, they are. it just tells you how inexact all this is. If scouts can be influenced by a great performance in a bowl game, like who cares? You can either play at the NFL level, you can't. Whether your team's any good, who cares? What matters is whether you're any good. You got 11 guys on the field at one time. One guy could be great, and the other 10 could be complete and total crap. And it's going to make the one guy who's great look not so good. You put him around great players, all of a sudden he's great. The flip side's true as well. Matt Liner. Great college quarterback. Yeah, it's easy to be a great college quarterback when your team is physically dominant at every position offensively. You take away the line, you take away the backs, you take away the receivers, and he's just another guy. So, I don't know what happened with Paxton Lynch, and it's odd to me that the Cowboys were ready to trade up in round one to get him before the Broncos moved up a few spots to get him but it just didn't work. And this is what happens when you become completely and totally committed to a competition and you don't rig the competition so that the rookie gets a chance to play. Paxton Lynch never got all that many chances to play. I'm going to multitask here. I'm going to pull up his his uh, NFL stats and see how many games he actually played. But it never clicked. And he's been out of football at times. Right now, he's battling for the backup job in Seattle with Geno Smith. Game logs. Let's see when he may have played. 2016, he got in to three games. Week four at Tampa Bay, a 27-7 victory, 14 of 24. Not great. 170 yards, 7.1 yards per attempt, 94.1 passer rating. He started the following week in a 23-16 loss to the Falcons, 23 for 35, 65.7% completion percentage, 6.4 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one pick, 81.0 passer rating. And then in a win over the Jaguars, week 13 of that season, rookie season, 12 for 24, meh, 104 yards, not good, 4.3 yards per attempt, 61.8 quarterback rating. So he got some playing time, presumably when Trevor Simeon was injured in Lynch's rookie year. Then came the second year. And I had forgotten about this. He started the game that was Patrick Mahomes' first NFL start. There's an answer to a trivia question. Who was the opposing quarterback 
in the first game Patrick Mahomes ever started. Answer, Paxton Lynch. 21 for 31, 67.7, 254 yards. That's 8.2 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns, two picks, 87.3. Chiefs won 27-24. You know, he hasn't been horrible. Like the guy who played for the Bills, Nathan Peterman, and had those crap performances one after the other. Lynch hasn't been that. And then last year he played in the preseason. His preseason numbers were... 82.6 passer rating. Completed 63.6% of his passes. 5.2 yards per attempt. Not impressive. Kevin Gilbride told me once that the stat that NFL coaches consider to be the most important regarding an offensive passing game is the yards per attempt. And if you're up over seven, you're really making it happen. And I remember hearing about that stat for the first time, like in 1991, the year that Washington was 15 and one, they had like a, a seven. I mean, it used to, you know, it used to be more impressive if you were North of seven, I'm going to multitask again here. I'm going to find Mark Rippon's stats from 1991. But I, I remember being first aware of that stat in 91. And if I recall correctly, Washington had, it was six point, no, here, but where is it? 8.5. Yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. 8.5 yards per attempt. So that's how you end up making a passing offense go. Now, more and more, we're seeing the numbers go higher and higher in this golden age of quarterbacks that we now occupy and we shouldn't take for granted. Guys who have stats that look pretty damn good in comparison to others aren't that great. Eli Manning's passer rating, I think, was north of 92 or 94, and he was still 22nd among all starting quarterbacks last year. So I don't know what happened with Paxton Lynch. And maybe Paxton Lynch will get an opportunity somewhere. Maybe it'll be in the XFL. Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the league, has made clear that the loser of the Geno Smith-Paxton Lynch competition will end up being potentially on the radar screen for a contract with the XFL. So maybe Paxton Lynch gets a chance three years after the fact to show what he can do. But I don't see anything glaring in his raw numbers that would tell me the guy just is destined to stink. Leapers 500. You talked a bit about Willie Stardew yesterday. As great as he was as a player and a man, can you speak a bit more about that and what he meant to you as a young person watching? I mean, there was just something special about it. There was just something about his way. He was pops. It was something so simple and so trivial as giving out the stars to his teammates and just being the heart and soul of that 1979 We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates team. Never met him. Why would I have met him? I was 14 years old. I was decades away from being in this business and I've never been in the baseball business and I have no desire to be. 79 was the last year that I really, really enjoyed baseball. Now, 1991, 1992... The last two years, the Pirates were worth a crap. I was just so consciously aware that that was the end. I had no idea it was going to be nearly 30 years, and we're still waiting for the Pirates to be relevant. Yeah, I know they made it, what, to the playoffs a couple of times. I hate that one-and-done wild card. I hate that. All you need is a better pitcher, and you advance. It puts too much. You play 162 games to get down to a one-game playoff. Now, it's special. I remember 78. Was it 78? Bucky Dent? Red Sox, Yankees. That's kind of neat. But when it happens naturally and organically as a tiebreaker is one thing. You build it in every year. It's not special anymore. 
but they don't. Hey, I can't get the NFL to listen to me. Major League Baseball ain't going to listen to my gripes and, and complaints. But uh, there was just something about Willie Stargell. And I think I have somewhere the Sports Illustrated with Willie Stargell and the late Terry Bradshaw on the cover, City of Champions. I was never a Steelers fan, but because the Pirates had won the World Series because I was a huge Pirates fan, I know it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. Huge Pirates fans, not a Steelers fan. But because the Pirates had won the World Series at a time when the Steelers were the reigning Super Bowl champions, I rooted for the Steelers to beat the Rams in Super Bowl fourteen just so they could continue the City of Champions vibe. That was really the only time... Well, no, I can't say it was the only time I rooted for the Steelers because I took my father-in-law to the 1995 AFC Championship game. I had a line on tickets. It was Steelers-Colts and rooted for the Steelers that day because it was just a neat occasion. It was neat to be there, neat to see them win and advance to the Super Bowl, even though it looked like for a while that they were destined to lose that game. And there was that Hail Mary throw from Jim Harbaugh that happened right below where we were sitting. And man, I'll tell you what, that was in that window between the initial replay experiment and the return of replay. If they had gotten that call wrong, if they had called that a touchdown, given that it hit the ground, or they called it incomplete, if there was evidence that it hadn't hit the ground, that would have been a huge, huge controversy and probably would have hastened the return of instant replay. Fittis and Kane... Not advocating replacing Sims because I've grown to like him, but hypothetically, is there anyone else you could see yourself hosting the show with four days a week? Hard mode besides Big Cat. I don't know what hard mode means. Hard mode besides Big Cat. I, I Look, I don't think about that. I didn't think about hosting it with Sims until it happened. I just take my life as it comes, and I love working with Chris. And right now, the last thing I would want to do after spending two years getting to know him, getting to know his idiosyncrasies, getting to know what his specific twist on the English language is. I, the last thing I'd want to do is try to break in somebody else. And, you know, we're good friends. I mean, I bust his chops, he busts my chops. We do it in good fun. We do it with a smile on our face and a song in our hearts. And I think it's a good, natural, organic relationship. There's no ego there. He doesn't get pissed at me. I don't get pissed at him. We don't ignore each other. We don't give each other the cold shoulder. We don't pretend to be friends. And then as soon as the show ends, we give each other the finger and walk away. We, we get along fine. Better than fine. So, you know, it gives me a hard time about moving up to Connecticut. He's not just doing that to make me uncomfortable. He'd prefer that I be up there. He'd prefer that we be in the same studio all the time. And I'd probably prefer that we live in the same area. We can hang out from time to time. I'd go smoke some lettuce with him. Not that I would. We'd joke about it. I'd go hang out with him while he was. Get a little contact high. But yeah, I mean, I would happily spend time with him away from work. We've done it. We haven't had a chance to do it very often. Whenever we're in the same city, I mean, think about it this way. Here's all you need to know as to whether or not we get along. Whenever we're in the same city and we do the show, as soon as it ends, the first thing is let's go find somewhere to eat breakfast. And it's not you go one way, I go my way, or you go to your table, I go to my table, we go get breakfast, we sit down and eat, we shoot the crap, and, and uh, you know, it just, it's natural. So I, I wouldn't want, at this point, to have to start over again, and I wouldn't want to run the risk of having somebody that I didn't like him or her or she didn't like me or he. 
didn't like me. So, so anyway, at, so yeah, I was going to skip over that one, but I mean, I'll be transparent about it. Now, if I had skipped over it, then maybe you would have been justified in wondering why did you skip over that one? Tyler Furness, what was your favorite cartoon growing up? Very important question. I was lucky enough that my mom introduced me to all the old school cartoons and I was obsessed with Yogi Bear and Wacky Races. I remember loving Wacky Races and there was some sort of Wacky Races game that I had. I'm going to have to find that on Etsy or eBay. I had a Wacky Races game with Snidely Whiplash. Snidely Whiplash pulling double duty, showing up as one of the one of the characters, if I recall correctly, and there's a chance I don't, in Wacky Races. I was a big fan of Tom and Jerry. Loved Tom and Jerry. Looney Tunes was probably my most favorite. That collection. Bugs Bunny. Daffy Duck. Tweety Bird. I'm trying to think of some of the other specific ones. But I, Porky Pig. I like Looney Tunes. Mel Blanc did all those voices. I was always amazed by that. The one guy did all those voices. So I got a kick out of Looney Tunes. I was always excited. If there was a movie on TV that didn't fully fit into the window, if you had the TV on, right place, right time, and there were like three or four channels back when I was a kid. So it was some boring ass movie that was on from 4.30 to 6. And it ended 10 till 6. If you got lucky, you got yourself a bonus Looney Tunes. It's such a different world now. You want to watch Bugs Bunny now? You watch Bugs Bunny. You want to watch Tom Jerry? You watch Tom and Jerry. You get everything you want now, now, now. Back then, you had to wait for it. I know that sounds pathetic. It makes me sound older than I am. You had to wait for it. I told the story before about how I'd be so excited to watch cartoons on Saturday morning. I'd run downstairs before I'd peed, and instead of running back upstairs to pee, I'd just peed in the garbage can. Saturday morning was a big, big day. That was huge. And every September when the new fall lineup came out with the new cartoons, that was huge. Which channel do I watch? You got to prioritize. So, and I don't enjoy them now. I don't even really watch like, I know that Family Guy is really good and I enjoy it. I don't watch it. South Park is brilliant. I don't watch it. Bob's Burgers is really good. I haven't watched a lot of it, but it's good. I just don't know why I don't watch it. Len Berkowitz, why not, since it's being debated among New England fans, who you got, Welker or Edelman? Hmm. Hmm. I'd have to pull up their stats. I'd have to look at their impact over an extended period of time, but I'll get it this way. Welker did not win a Super Bowl, and even though I think it was a bad throw from Tom Brady in Super Bowl 46, that if he delivers that on the money, Wes Welker never drops it. It's called a drop. I don't think it was really a drop. It was a bad throw. He would have iced the game. Welker has played a key role in two Super Bowl championships. Really three, right? I mean, Edelman was on the field. I'd have to go back and see exactly what he did, those drives when the Patriots were down 10 points against the Seahawks. But remember, one of the controversies was maybe he had a concussion and they didn't pull him out. So he was a contributor. He had the huge catch against the... Falcons as part of the comeback. By the way, it's now 2-2. If you're wondering when I witnessed the England goal that tied up the match in minute number 67, it's right now. I don't know what's going to happen from this point forward. By the time you hear this, 
you will know whether or not England or the United States advances to the World Cup final. All right. But anyway, I'll go Edelman. I'll go Edelman. I don't like this talk that he's a potential Hall of Famer. I think that's overblown. I was stunned when Al Michaels was on earlier this year and he made that case. I think Edelman hasn't nearly done enough regular season to justify it. But postseason, he's number two all-time in receiving yardage behind Jerry Rice. Matt Bills, if Tyreek Hill is still on an NFL team this year, can we rename the NFL Nothing Feels Legal? Travis Colt responds by saying, good one, but no, you can't, since he hasn't been arrested, let alone charged with a crime. Well, look, Travis, you know that doesn't matter. Ben Roethlisberger was never charged with a crime. He got suspended. Ezekiel Elliott was never charged with a crime. He got suspended. Ezekiel Elliott's going to get suspended again, quite possibly, and he wasn't charged a second time. Getting charged doesn't matter. Here's the thing that people don't understand. And let me just make it clear. There are multiple ways you can violate the personal conduct policy. And one of the ways you can violate it is by engaging in actual or threatened violence. And last year, oh, no goal, no goal. Well, the moment I found out it was no goal was in the 69th minute. It's still two to one because England was offside. All right, but you can violate the personal conduct policy with threats. Jimmy Smith, the Ravens cornerback, was suspended four games last year for making threats and engaging in emotional abuse of the mother of his child. I think that to everyone who says the maximum suspension for Tyreek Hill is four games, I say the minimum is four. I think we start with four and go from there. Four for the you-need-to-be-terrified-of-me-too line, directed to a woman who he choked and beat in 2014 when she was pregnant. And then you go from there. Did he discipline his child in a manner that crossed the line, a la Adrian Peterson? Does Tyreek Hill have some sort of responsibility for creating an environment that caused the government to come and take the child out of the home? That's another potential violation. So, look, they ultimately were unable to show that the broken arm that the boy suffered happened as a result of any actions of Tyree Kill or the mother of the child. But the district attorney, one day before that tape came out, said a crime was committed, but I can't prove who did it. You throw on top of that, that tape, that tape to me, and, and I, I look, we can, we can differ on this. I respect different opinions. My opinion is that tape told me that the Mr. Hyde that choked and beat Crystal Espinal is still residing not all that far beneath the surface of Tyreek Hill. That concerns me, and that makes me think he's not fit to play in the NFL. If they're if they're serious when they say it's a privilege, not a right, then I don't think he should be a party to that privilege. Michael Newland points out that he loves Fred Flintstone. Thank you. I, yeah, I loved Flint. I didn't even mention the Flintstones when I talked about favorite cartoons earlier. I love the Flintstones. In hindsight, it doesn't hold up well, but at the time, it was you know it was the only half-hour cartoon until The Simpsons, and The Simpsons has been around for 30 years now. Dean Osborne, 42. Do you think the Chiefs? Okay, I, Dean, I'm going to read this verbatim because I'm not quite sure what you mean, and I'm going to answer what I think you mean. As typed, do the KC Chiefs themselves not do anything each year to officially honor Joe Delaney? I don't know what that means. Maybe, if I, yeah, I, it's, do, I, it's, first of all, it's summertime, so there's really nothing you can do. I saw a tweet from 
the Chiefs over the weekend on the anniversary of Joe Delaney's death. And they put him in the Ring of Honor. They haven't reissued his number. I don't know that his number's officially retired, but it hasn't been reissued, number 37, since he last wore it in the 1982 season. I'd like to see the NFL do more. I'd like to have an award named after Joe Delaney. There's got to be something they can give out every year that is named after Joe Delaney. I'm getting some texts about Ezekiel Elliott. He posted something on Twitter. We'll take a look at it before we wrap up today, and I'll give you my thoughts on it. He's met with the commissioner, and he has posted something on social media, and I'll tell you what that is, and I'll tell you what he said, and I'll tell you what I think of it before we go. Frank Chavaway, do you think Jerry Jones will go after Roger again if Zeke and Tyreek Hill get the same punishment? I, I don't know. I think Roger and Jerry Jones have found a way to mend fences. I think the commissioner is less likely to throw the book at Ezekiel Elliott because of everything that went down two years ago. But at the same time, you know, I've made the point. It's an opportunity for Goodell to get a little bit of revenge on Zeke. Zeke's back on the radar screen. Zeke is the one that filed the lawsuit that delayed the suspension. That's got to frustrate the commissioner. So, I don't know. I think that the commissioner won the last time around. He won in court, and he won ultimately in the stare down with Jerry Jones. So I think the commissioner can do whatever he wants. And, and look, whether it's Tyree Kill, whether it's Ezekiel Elliott, whether it's anyone else, bottom line is the commissioner can do and will do whatever the hell he wants to do. On tour forever, in your opinion, is it better to be a seventh round pick in the NFL draft and maybe not make a team or skip the draft and go right into the XFL? Interesting point. Coming out of college, you finish up your eligibility, you go straight to the XFL. You say, screw the draft. I'm going to get paid now. Now, here's the thing. Will the XFL let you do a one-year contract? You know, I've bandied that point around in the past as it relates to the AAF, but now that the XFL is on deck to launch, you finish your college eligibility. You say, instead of spending the next four months engaging in a job interview where I get pulled all over the country and I don't get paid and I've got to run 40 yards in a straight line. I got to do this. I got to do that. I can go somewhere and I can get paid to play in the XFL. And then when I'm done, an NFL team can sign me. The key is going to be negotiating a one-year deal. Will the XFL want that? Are they going to want you to commit to multiple years or will they take what they can get? If I'm the XFL, I'm taking what I can get. If there's a great college player that says, you know what, I just want to get paid. I want to get paid, and I'm willing to take the risk that it's going to affect my draft stock. I'm going to go play in the XFL, and and then I'll go play in the NFL. They can draft me after that, and uh, I just want to get paid. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that. And it doesn't have to be seventh-round pick. It doesn't have to. It could be anybody. And you know what? If you are going to be a guy that may not get drafted very high or at all, go prove yourself in the XFL and get paid. Get paid. When in doubt, get paid. On tour forever. When will we get another episode of Political Mike now that you're on vacay and it's slow and the NFL seems like a perfect time? I just, I, there's been nothing going on in politics that has gotten me appropriately fired up recently. I've tried to just not worry about it. I've tried to become apathetic. You know, we're part of the entertainment. 
I focus on doing my job and doing my job well. And I think we're all kind of fatigued by all the, the stuff that's gone on the past three years, really back to four years ago, when a certain individual took a ride down an escalator. For better or for worse, it changed everything about our political existence. And I think we've reached our limit. I think we're bored. I think we've had our, our fun. The reality show that became reality. It's kind of boring now. I hope it doesn't get more interesting. I hope it stays boring. I don't don't want it to be must-see TV. Because at this point, there isn't much more that can happen. And I feared that we're going to end up in an unnecessary war. I'm glad that restraint was exercised recently as it relates to Iran. But there's just too many hot spots. There's too many things that can go wrong. And it just feels like there's not enough. And I, and look, okay, I, I, I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm just contradicting everything I just said. It feels like there's too many things that can go wrong and there isn't enough expertise to properly manage the government at the highest levels. That's what I believe. And that's not a red state, blue state, I'm right, you're an idiot type of a comment. I'm just concerned that we lack the expertise to handle these situations properly. Wantour Forever, one more. Isn't the Flintstones just an animated version of the Honeymooners? Basically, yes. All right, let's see what Zeke said on his Twitter page about his meeting with the commissioner. Let's see what Zeke said. Here we go. Earlier today, I met with the commissioner to share with him what occurred in Las Vegas and what I have learned from that incident. I've worked hard to make better decisions and to live up to the high standards that are expected of me. I failed to do that here, and I made a poor decision. I apologized to Kyle Johnson at the time, and I meant it. I need to work harder to ensure I do not put myself in compromised situations in the future. I am rededicating myself to use all of the resources that the league has made available, but in the end, it is up to me, and I am determined not to be in this position again. (sighs) Sounds like somebody's getting suspended. Sounds like somebody's getting whacked or got whacked, got whacked in person and is going to get whacked. So, look, repeat offender, repeat offender, repeat offender. It was the 2007 revisions to the personal conduct policy that were aimed at beefing it up to address the problem of the repeat offender. Chris Henry, Pac-Man Jones. Henry, Eight-game suspension, Jones, full-year suspension, and the point was made very clear by Roger Goodell, who then was less than a year on the job, that you get yourself into these multiple situations, we're not going to say wrong place at the wrong time. We're not going to play that game. What we're going to say is, you're in trouble. You're out. You're suspended. So... I don't know what's going on in this soccer game. Some crazy stuff was just happening inside the penalty area in front of the United States goal. Somebody from the England team is upset. They had a nice play going here. I'm sure this is all very thrilling to you now that you know the outcome of the game. Nice little play. I remember, oh, that would have been from from the... I don't know what happened. Oh, you got to grab your leg every time you fall. That's the one thing I don't like about soccer. Anytime you fall down, grab your leg. Maybe you can get a penalty out of it. Now, let's see. Oh, he... I don't see a leg injury there, but was there a... I can't tell. Number 18 for England isn't happy. She just whiffed on the ball. She whiffed on the ball. All right. So, uh, on that note, 
uh, I'm going to watch the end of this match and I'm going to go get my toupee adjusted. And this match isn't going to be over before I have to leave unless I'm going to be late for my toupee adjustment, although they can't adjust it without me there. All right, um, new format for today. I answered your questions. There's really nothing else I want to talk about, although I am interested in this. Let, let me just end with this. This MGM effort to buy the AAF app for 125 grand. I wish that I would have acted on my instinct at the time because my instinct was when that news came out, something smells here. 125 grand, that's nothing. For this app that supposedly is revolutionary and it's going to be the machinery for real-time betting, 125 grand. Oh, oh, and, and the MGM folks reduced their their claim against the AAF's bankruptcy estate from 7 million to 5 million. Like, who cares? They don't have the 5 million. It's not like it's an actual benefit of 2 million. They don't have the money. They're stealing this thing for 125 grand. So, anyway, uh, this AAF thing, I think, is going to be a mess. It's been a mess. I think it will continue to be a mess. And I think that a fight, well, I know that a fight is coming over the effort to sell the technology to MGM for 125 grand. And now the opportunity is there for anybody else, any other company, casino, DraftKings, FanDuel, NFL, any sports league, you want to come out of the woodwork? I mean, what, what would it take to get it? Isn't 150 in cash? Isn't 125,000 and $1 more valuable than what MGM is paying? And I know there's some sort of a lease that was entered into a licensing agreement two days before the AAF imploded. That That's fishy to me. That MGM ended up with a permanent and irrevocable license. That's very fishy to me. Anything that happens within a certain window before a company goes belly up is inherently fishy. So on that point, we're going to wrap it up. They're reviewing for some sort of a penalty here. Maybe there will be a penalty kick. I don't know. I'm going to stop the PFTPM podcast for today and then find out. Tomorrow, we're going to have Kyle Rudolph, the Vikings tight end. I want to know how Kirk Cousins is doing in year two of getting ready to take over the Vikings. Can they win a primetime game? Is Kyle Rudolph happy with his situation? And plus, whatever other questions I come up with between now and then, check us out tomorrow on PFTPM. We'll have PFTOT. Earlier in the day, profootballtalk.com updates all day long. Thanks, as always, for your support of everything that we do. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.